So welcome to the Dossier Podcast. And today we have an awesome guest, uh, another guy who goes back to the, I go back with to the early days of, of COVID mania, where there seemed to be just a lot of interesting voices amid the chaos. And Ian Miller, who um, has his own Substack called Unmasked, and you can find it at enmsc.substack.com. He's the guy that you're probably super familiar with who does all the awesome work on the masks, uh, the mask mandates, charting what's going on with the mask mandates. And kind of Ian's information has made the case better than I think anyone else that the mask mandates, um, the, you know, with the ultra high mask compliance, that there's just a story here that hasn't been told by the corporate press, by the so-called expert class. And Ian has really captured, I think, that story through his data work. Um, Ian's stuff has definitely gone to the, you know, the, the highest levels of government. I know that in some White House um, presentations, I remember that President Trump was even using data um, provided uh, through intermediaries. But I think the, the original source, uh, if I'm correct, Ian, was, was a lot of your stuff, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I believe that's right. Uh, it's pretty crazy to think about it, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I think that happened. Yeah. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about like how you just kind of, uh, how, especially the mask stuff, how this kind of flew onto your radar. Were you an early mask believer? Did you have any sense that maybe that this cloth, uh, was useful in any way, or were you just like immediately skeptical of the narratives? I was, I would say somewhere in the middle. I, I really wasn't sure what to think. Um, obviously, like almost everybody else, I had no idea what science said about masks, you know, pre-2020. And um, But once it started to become recommended, I, it was kind of like, all right, well, let's, it, theoretically, this could kind of make sense. But I, I, you know, I didn't really know much about it. Um, once it started becoming obvious that this wasn't a two-week thing, that this was going to be a prolonged lockdown world that we were going to be living in. I, you know, I, I found Justin Hart. I like a lot of us. I, I found a lot of people. I found you and a lot of other people that were kind of more skeptical of everything. And I started looking at it myself and it became pretty, pretty obvious to me fairly quickly that masks were the biggest, one of the biggest things about to fight back about this because it was pretty clear, you know, I live in California and um, it was pretty clear from the data here in the summer that, even with all the super high compliance and everybody wearing it, that it wasn't stopping anything, wasn't preventing cases. And it was obvious from looking all over the world, really, that it wasn't working. Um, and so I just kind of started looking into it myself. And I, I think the, it was, it became the, the, the visible symbol that we were in a pandemic. And so it stopped being about how useful they actually were or weren't and became the symbol of everybody be afraid and being in fear at all times. So that's why it became something for me personally to kind of crusade against because it was the, it was the, the clearest thing that we had. And, and I think you see that because as soon as the CDC changed their guidance in May, basically everybody opened up almost and ended almost all their restrictions. That was it. That was the big turning point. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm in um, South Florida now and luckily I don't have to wear a mask anywhere, but I'm seeing a lot of um, interesting things pop up across the United States. Uh, or, uh, of course, it's like a total shit show around the world, but in the U S I am a little concerned seeing indications with this ridiculous Delta variant stuff, 
that they want to bring back the masks. Have you seen stuff on, I mean, you're, you're living in California, so you're still dealing with mask mania, but it seems like it's happening throughout the country, right? That they're trying to bring back the masks and the fear element again. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, obviously LA County was the first to kind of officially say we're, we're mandating them again for even for vaccinated people. And, um, you know, I wrote a big Substack post about it and, and it's just completely ridiculous, but the Bay area said that they're recommending it. I think, I don't know if Las Vegas is officially mandated or if they're also recommending now. And yeah, it, uh, you know, it's, it's been, it's been the security blanket for politicians and for experts for the whole time. And, and even though there's, there's mountains of data out there showing that it doesn't work and mountains of data showing that it's not stopping increases currently in other parts of the world, uh, they just can't let it go. And, and because they, had to pretend for so long that it was working. They have to keep pretending that it works forever. And so anytime there's an increase in cases that I think that for a lot of states that in areas like LA and California and New York, you know, Michigan, whatever there, the immediate push from the base is we got to bring masks back. And, you know, you see that with, uh, with Dr. Wen from from CNN, who has just been one of the most panic pushing people out there who immediately was like, Oh, they made a mistake. <laughs> We made it with the CDC made a mistake. We should never remove masks. That's the problem. And, and so you, you know, you're going to see a push from the kind of establishment public health people to bring them back, even though it, there's no evidence that they're working in other places where they never remove their mask mandates. Yeah. That's why I like the, the charts that you put together because they're just so clear, you know, th- these, these like so-called studies, um, you know, the, the lack of trials, the, all the information, these models that, that these so-called public health experts put out, it's all based on like all these variables and stuff. And what you've done is basically been like, okay, here's when COVID started. Here's when we issued all these mandates. And here's how irrelevant all these mandates were. Like here's some real life examples. And all, all like these so-called experts have to fall back on is like the idea that, oh, from like March to May 13th at 12 p.m., look at this decrease in cases and it must have been masks. There's no other variables. Like these people are just, they're, I don't think that they would be even willing to debate this stuff. I think that they're just comfortable like virtue signaling about it on Twitter and on other social media platforms. And they have the backing of these institutions. And uh, sadly, you know, a lot of people on our side have been basically like either deplatformed or censored for simply just like stating the obvious that there's there's no correlation, there's no causation here, that there's just not even any type of linkage whatsoever to show that cloth masks do anything other than um, obviously restrict people's breathing, make them uncomfortable. There's all these other you know negatives to to mask wearing, but it it's just fascinating that the way that people can play with data and with models. I'm sure you remember that the infamous like mannequin study that the CDC had where oh, yeah. basically put it, put mannequins in a room with like with face masks like tied super tight to their face. It's like yeah. Uh, oh, oh, don't forget the ham- don't forget the hamsters either. <laughs> I don't know what's the hamster one. <laughs> they, they, there was another one that said masks work because they used some kind of cloth thing on the hamsters and said that that would that was <laughs> applicable to uh, to humans breathing in the real world, but. Yeah, the mannequins was a great. It's a it, the, the ghost of, of COVID past. It was a great study when they had the hosiery hosiery uh, uh, tied to their faces, and that was to to justify double masking. It, it makes you question like all of the, the competence of these institutions, and it falls into like all of these other 
um, realms of public health, like with diet and nutrition and, and then like just any study, it's, it's so tough these days because you want to rely on experts and you don't want to have to like investigate all this stuff on your own, but we deeply need a new class of like actual people with expertise on these issues that don't just virtue signal. And you're right. Your, your previous point about the politicians being in charge of this is a huge problem um, that they, they just like, they know that they've influenced, they're so incredibly irresponsible and grossly negligent. Like they know they've influenced all these people to believe their, their garbage um, studies and information. And I think, I think if I'm, I'm sure there's, there's a lot of polling out there and I've seen some polling that shows that like, you know, the majority of Democrats sadly overwhelmingly think that masks work. So if your constituency thinks masks work, why not just uh, bring masks back into the equation until the polling changes. Right. Yeah. And there's a, there's a couple things in there and it's, it's really, it kind of cuts to the heart of what the problem has been from the beginning, which is, you know, we've, a lot of people have assumed that the people who run these institutions that run the public health bureaucracies are competent, well-informed people that are scientists that update their findings based off of new evidence. And what we've learned is that the exact opposite is true. And, and I've been told this by people at very high levels, <laughs> you know, privately, that a lot of the people who run these bureaucracies are very incompetent and they're not scientists and they're not aware of the most recent data. They're mostly administrators who are just basically doing what everybody else is doing. And, and what that has led to is you have this expert class that is not very good at their one job and politicians relying exclusively on the expert class because of their predetermined ideology, they have to, you know, they have to believe in science. That's their part of their, their mantra. And so, but the science, people who are determining the science are not very good at the science. So it's, it's become this, this vicious cycle of, of politicians appealing to authority who are not very good at being the authority. Um, and I mean, what's really bizarre about all the, the cloth masks and all their recommendations is every single study pre 2020 said masks didn't work. Every one of them. And all of a sudden in with no time, with no change, with no new studies, with no new randomized control trials, with no new gold standard trials, they completely changed their minds out of nowhere in April. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious that they were like, we have to do something. And then they've just spent, like you say, using these mannequins or using these cherry picked end, end dates of like May, 2020 to, to justify a decision that never made any sense in the first place. What do you think has something crossed um, your, like your, your information where like, is there a particular study that you think is the most or, or model that you think is the most egregious? Uh, I know that they're all baseless, but I remember there was one in Kansas, right. That was just like utter hackery where, where they even like manipulated the, the X and Y axis to try to oh, yeah. point. Is there anything that sticks out to you like that? That's just like been like so pathetic and out of bounds. It should be out of bounds. The Kansas one was really bad. The Arizona one was very bad where they, they deliberately uh, excluded from, there was a, you know, there was just brief background. It was a CDC study in Arizona saying masks uh, were the reason or one of the reasons why cases dropped 75% last summer. So what they did is they they purposely ignored that not every county in Arizona mandated masks at the same time or, or mandated them at all. So they only showed that cases went down in, in, as the state, and they didn't show that cases also went down in the areas that never mandated masks. So they, they tried to credit masks even in, in areas that weren't mandated at all. Um, I think the absolute worst, though, there's one that they tried to say that it was uh, masks and restaurant closures. It was combined. 
uh, I think it was that one. And they, they, the best that they could do was say that mass reduced cases. And I want to say it was by 1% or less. And it was more than 28 days or something like that after they were implemented. And that was the best that they could do. They, they had to torture the criteria. They, end, you know, cherry pick the end dates and they still could only get to 1%. And you're just like, so the headline from the CDC, of course, is masks reduced cases, trends in hospitalizations and cases because, uh, you know, but they don't say that it was their, their best estimate was 1%. And you just, it's like, that's just dishonest, you know? Yeah. It, and, and it goes to like, it, it makes you really, really, re, I don't know about you, but like my entire, I don't want to say my entire worldview has changed, but I think I've become more radicalized in the direction of promoting freedom because I swear, like if we just listen to these bureaucrats from cradle to grave, we would not be living very long lives and flourishing lives. We'd, we'd basically be trapped in our homes and just w- without any rights whatsoever. I mean, I, I think that what these the agenda that these crazy people have, like like especially like the doctor Wen that you're talking about on CNN, basically a communist that's just wanting to totally manipulate our behavior. Uh, you know, a lot of these people don't live healthy lifestyles themselves. Like a guy like Bill Gates, who's just like, uh, you know, infused with like way too much estrogen and soy products and stuff like that. Um, there's like, I feel like there's, there's like two types of totalitarians. There's like the Bill Gates type who actually like believes the nonsense that he's selling. And then you just have like the, you know, the, the media hype people, the Fauci's who just want to control you. I, I think there's like an element of both in that conversation, but, but with the masks, I don't like, I don't know what you, what you would say is like the primary motive, but I, I think it's more of a complex thing. Like a lot of people just say, Oh, it's, you know, they're just trying to condition us. Uh, I think it's like, I don't know about you. I, I think it's just like a blend of politics and yeah, there are some like evil people that know that you can just manipulate people with the fear element easier, but I think it's kind of like more of a nuanced thing. Yeah, I agree. I, I, there's that famous quote, you know, don't attribute to malice what can be explained by incompetence or whatever it is. But, and, and I think that's the greater thing here is I think they all panicked. They all took all their pandemic planning scenarios and threw them out the window and they just all went with the herd. And it, there's uh, there was a great Twitter thread, and I, I can't remember who posted it. I saw it yesterday. But basically, they said that all of the politicians and the bureaucrats basically realized that it was better to be wrong as long as you were wrong together. You know, if you don't go outside of what everybody else is doing, you're immune from criticism. And I think that's that's really what it comes down to. Politicians want to avoid negative PR. They want to avoid negative criticism. Experts also are don't want to be criticized either. So if they just do what everybody else does, it's there's no criticism. And you know, it's it's really funny. If I, I came across this and I was looking through some of the emails that were released from Fauci uh, a couple weeks ago, and on March 31st, in his emails, he was emailed by one of his top employees, telling him that relevant to recent discussions, they had reviewed the science on masking. There were I think it was nine randomized control trials or ten randomized control trials. And show, all of them showed that there was no significant benefit to masking. This is March 31st. April 3rd, Fauci and the CDC say everybody should wear a mask. So yeah. they knew four days before they changed their minds that it wasn't, there was no evidence that it would work whatsoever. And then based off of nothing, they changed their mind. And that just tells you it's, it's just a political decision based off of doing what other areas are doing that are seemingly having success. Now, I think they just saw South Korea and Japan doing what they thought was well at the time and were like, well, masks must be working. And they all just kind of panicked. Yeah. As someone who studied political science in undergrad, 
the very useless topic of political science. I can I can assure <laughs> you that that is that that is very much political science and not science. Um, yeah, it's interesting with these Fauci emails. You had a lot of interesting people trying to reach out to him to say like, oh, you know, I think COVID's been spreading here for a while. Maybe these these lockdown things are kind of pointless. And he seems to just ignore all the important data that was coming to him because the man is just uh, so incompetent, corrupt, uh, deceitful. He just, I think he just wants to stay in charge of that institution. And and I, I think, yeah, like going back to the early days of COVID, I, I do recall there was, you know, there was this thing happening in East Asia where the cases were so low and people just sort of attributed it to mask wearing culture. And I think that's what really sticks in the minds of a lot of people. But of course, um, if you want to fill us in on the latest I just saw that you you published something about Japan a couple of weeks ago. So how's the mask wearing going in Japan these days? Right. Yeah. I, I, yeah. That was. It's been very funny tracking this because it's it it obviously it always changes. And in Japan, they just it's it's gone up. It hasn't been as high as it as their previous peak, but it's definitely gone up again. And of course, they famously had the decided to ban spectators from the Olympics and declared another state of emergency. And you just go. It's like this was the country that had had it under control because of masks and it exploded again. And South Korea just reached a new high in cases a few days ago. I haven't checked in the last few days, but they were at a new high of, of cases. Uh, you know, Vietnam has seen cases explode. Thailand has seen cases explode. Malaysia. I mean, it, you can just go down the line, Mongolia. Uh, I mean, everywhere in, in that area has had cases explode and way above their previous rates. Yeah. Um, despite all the mask wearing it's 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 all of them taiwan i saw a huge outbreak by their standards and it's it's just you can go back and, and find public health experts relentlessly praising those countries and saying if we had just only done what they had done we would have good numbers and now you look and all their numbers have changed and i mean they're still cumulatively they're still fairly low you know they're, they haven't had a lot of mortality high mortality but that's most likely explained by other factors and not masking because it's clearly not stopping transmission yeah, you look at that and you think, hmm, all of these countries in the same region are experiencing a surge in cases. And there's right. two ways to look at that, in my opinion. There's, oh, there must be a seasonal element to this, which is like, you know, breathtakingly obvious at this point. Or you can go full public health expert and say, these countries all must be simultaneously letting their guard down. That right. might be the case. They need to mask harder. And that's what they end up doing is just to, you know, I think that's what you're seeing in like a country like Japan with the Olympics. They're just kind of like starting to panic. They're like, oh my God, we need to, uh, we need to shut down spectators because clearly what's going on a um, hundred miles away has nothing to do with our, our issue. So we're just going to like mask up and lock down the Olympics and with, with all this in, insanity. Um, it, it's so unfortunate and irresponsible uh, to, to see to see this happening and and it's going to be sad you know the olympics i think start on friday or, or it's even maybe earlier this week but we're, we're going to see an empty olympics because of covid protocols and you have like another example of this stupidity you have the best athletes in in the world who um are not really threatened by this disease unless they have some kind of like rare condition that they don't know about and the Olympics is basically ruined because of COVID mania. And yeah, it, yeah it's, uh, it, it's crazy. Yeah. The, so, I, I think a lot of it comes back to, to media coverage too, because the media just 
has been so relentlessly negative and so bad at providing perspective or context or, or even just having any kind of adversarial questioning of those in authority. And I mean, you know, you're an independent journalist, you know, journalism is supposed to be about ab- kind of questioning authority. And it's like that they've just completely avoided that at all costs. And so these, these bureaucrats and these health experts never have to defend things that they say. And just one quick example with at Los Angeles, the LA times in like January, February, attributed the decline in cases in LA from like January through March with closing outdoor dining. And yet cases declined in Arizona and Nevada at exactly the same time, even though they never banned outdoor dining. And and they're because experts in LA said that it was that's what caused it. And you just go, how does how does a journalist sit there and go, I'm I'm accepting that at face value when it it takes me five minutes to point out that that's impossible. Yeah, journalism is so, especially the corporate press, so entirely broken nowadays. And um, it, I guess like that's probably one of the reasons that you decided to kind of jump into this, right? I mean, you come from the entertainment industry. Uh, I, I feel like just a lot of us felt that there was like like this this giant um, void of of good information, and uh, you know, you you to your great credit, kind of stepped up to the plate. Was that kind of like what motivated you? Just seeing like that people were just like spewing nonsense and bad data. Yeah. I I think that that was the biggest thing is I was realizing very quickly that a lot of what was reported was demonstrably not true. And obviously it's very funny with our uh, increased national conversation about misinformation, but there it's very easy to point out to people the, the impossibility of what they're saying and they just don't care. They're not interested because it's, it's not, coming from a source that they deem acceptable. You know, it's like, the, and, and so a lot of people I think were looking for the, for the truth and looking for the data. And and I think that's why, you know, my little Twitter account has, has grown so much is that people were looking to see exactly what I've been trying to do, which is just point out, okay, well, here's what we did and when, and what happened afterwards. And the media is not doing that. You know, it's very easy for them to do that. It, it, you know, these charts don't take very long to make. <laughs> so it could be very, it could be done quickly and easily by people that have much more resources and time than I do. And they're just not willing to, because they know what it says. Um, and so, yeah, that, that got me started on it. And, and obviously yeah, I realized pretty quickly that people wanted this and, and I've been very, you know, honored and humbled by the amount of people that have been send me great messages and, and are very thankful. And it's like, well, I, I mean, anybody could be doing this. It's just, so I was noticing somebody, nobody had yet. And so that became my kind of niche on this, on this hellish website. Yeah. I think that your style really, really stood out just being, you know, unapologetically behind just the, the, the hard data and just, just kind of throwing it in these people's faces. And they really have no way to deal with this when they look at um, the charts that you have up and they, they really don't refute. Um, I, I assume from your experience, they never refute the data. They just probably attack the messenger, right? Oh yeah. A lot of that, a lot of credentialism, um, a lot of the, a lot of kind of questions that don't matter. There's always pushback about density, but I mean, there's been a lot of, of examinations of density. It just doesn't matter very much. It's not correlated to anything particularly well. Um, I think that was like an early assumption and that happened, that's happened a lot where people made these assumptions, like you say, with, with Southeast Asia in, in March and April and May of 2020. And then we're just like, okay, I, I figured out COVID now it's density and it's masks. And they never updated their, their thinking as that 
became disproven over the the winter and fall in 2021. But um, yeah, it's a lot of that. It's a lot of, I think people, people always put in the, the like logical fallacy of, you don't know what it would have been like without masks. And well, we kind of do though, because we have a lot of places that have used, have barely used masks if at all. And yeah, I mean, everybody doesn't want to talk about Sweden anymore because Sweden's like 40th in the world in death rate now. And that's, that was supposed to be the, you know, if masks were as important as we were told they were, if they were better than a vaccine, that shouldn't be possible. And that's always kind of been my point is like, yeah, any one chart is not going to be a complete disproving of, of masks as a, as a source control or whatever. But when you look at it in totality, and uh, it, there's just no way to argue with it. There's no way to, to combat that all of these places all saw these outcomes, regardless of mask usage, regardless of timing. Um, and, and if they, a lot of places that didn't use masks at all, barely use them, have had better outcomes. And there's just no way to explain that if that's the most important variable. And, and yeah, exactly. How you said it, the, mo- the most important variable, this is how it was sold to us, that, that these experts said, if we reach a certain number of universal, you know, the, the threshold of universal mask wearing, which I think was was pretty low at some point, then they brought it to 75, 80%. And according to uh, some pretty good survey data, at, 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 at like most of the last 18 months, America's major cities have been way over that number consistently. So all we're doing is saying that whatever you guys were promising is not coming to fruition, right? Like the, the, if they're telling the burden is not on us to, to like, to say that we shouldn't have to wear masks and here's the evidence, the burden is on them because they literally want to strap something to your face in perpetuity and right, like, right. and and yeah, and claim that you need to wear this for basically the rest of your life every every uh, respiratory season now. Exactly, and if you if you do go back and look, and there is a lot of of modeling on this, like you mentioned earlier, the I think it was Cambridge University modeled at one point that if fifty percent of the population routinely wore masks, that it would like dramatically reduce infections, like 80 percent, and you know prevent future waves. Obviously, it's been way more than fifty percent. That didn't happen, um, Gavin. There's a professor from Duke who uh, is very online, wrote a, uh, a, a piece in Time magazine that said that masks would reduce infections by 50 to 85 percent. Clearly, that came nowhere remotely close to happening. Uh, Vanity Fair put out an article saying if 80 percent of people wore masks, it would reduce infections dramatically. Um, and I mean, there was, the CDC put out a study saying that mask, universal masking policies could avert the need for future lockdowns. That was in like November of 2020. <laughs> And then immediately afterwards, a bunch of places locked down again, even with universal mask mandates. I mean, the the governor of Nevada in his press conference mandating masks said if 80 percent of people wear masks, you know, will reduce infections dramatically. And then Nevada had a huge increase over the fall and the winter, just like everywhere else. I mean, it's it's just example after example of it completely failing. All of their targets were met and exceeded. And it, it just didn't matter. It completely was irrelevant. What do you think of the weird argument that's come up? Um, mostly on like, I guess you can associate with this, this, with the, with the real people that bought into the COVID stuff. Um, but it's a complex argument because it never made sense to me. The people who say that since flu season's around the corner, um, and the flu wasn't around last year that we should consider masks for flu season. Well, it's, it's completely ridiculous because if you go back and look and, and thankfully the, uh, 
the World Health Organization helpfully has these uh, flu mart downloads where you can literally download the positive flu cases by year. And you can go back and look and see when flu went to zero. And it was way ahead of season. And it went to zero in Australia and Sweden and the United States and Japan all at the exact same time, within a few days of each other in, in March of 2020. And it's never come, it never came back anywhere, regardless of how many people were using masks or not using masks. So there's no evidence that the flu had any, the mass had anything to do with removing the flu. And so bringing it back to remove the flu is pointless because we have the real world data showing it didn't matter. And also because all of these studies that we're talking about, the randomized controlled trials that showed masks didn't work, were conducted based off of flu. So we've always known that masks didn't work to prevent the flu. Obviously, there was no COVID in 2011 or 2015 when we were doing these trials. So it's, it's never worked. We've never had any reason to expect that it would work. And we have real world proof that it didn't matter. So trying to recommend it for something that we already know it's useless against is, I mean, it, it's very fitting for what public health has done over the last year, but it makes, makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm seeing that so many people are, it, it never made sense. And, and, and it's such like a, a bizarre argument that, that they're kind of trotting out there. Um, what what do you forecast like realistically for I don't want to say the rest of the summer, but what do you think, um, especially where you live and in areas where you don't have leadership that kind of leans on the side of freedom? What does fall and winter look like in America? Like what what's what's the realistic picture? Not like the optimistic or pessimistic picture, but what do you think is just realistic? What are we going to see uh, moving forward? Do you see more of like the draconian mitigation and suppression strategies? Are, are they going to try to play that stuff? Up? Because I'm kind of leaning in that direction again. Yeah, I, I would say that my realistic view is probably a bit on the pessimistic side because I'm kind of naturally leaning that direction. But I think realistically in, in areas like LA and a lot of, of the you know, California, New York, maybe the, the true like true believers in the lockdown religion, as I say, I think you're going to see restrictions come back. Uh, I don't, I mean, I, it's seems like we're going to see an increase in cases again over the fall and the winter. I don't know how big it's going to be, but I definitely think it's going to happen. Um, and it's, it's good. Like you say, it's going to take some, some commitment to freedom to resist the need or resist the urge to, to follow the experts again. And they're all going to be pushing for, for more restrictions and lockdowns again. Um, and it's, it's going to be, that you're going to see a lot of this stuff come back in California. I don't, I don't think it will be quite as bad because I think people are going to be they're They're going to realize that they don't have the political capital to get away with it being complete lockdown again. But I definitely think you'll see mass mandates come back in certain States. There'll be restrictions on capacity in certain States. Um, kind of like where it was pre may when the CDC flipped their recommendations. Um, you know, Florida is not going to change, obviously, uh, South Dakota, places like that. But I could, I can definitely see it happening in California, Nevada, or you know, New York, that kind of thing. Yeah, my biggest concern is the normalization of this. I, I think what what uh, Mark Changizi on uh, Twitter, he's he's a great follow too. He calls it, I think, the safety regime. You know, the the, yeah. the masks on the planes, the the rapid testing, all this all this insanity um, becoming like kind of like it's like annoying institution in the United States that's just churning out 
billions of dollars a year for pharma companies and, uh, you know, with these boosters. And I just saw in Canada, they have, um, they just bought like 35 million doses from Pfizer for a booster. And, you know, yeah. these things just all kind of couple together. But I, I think at least in, in the United States, hopefully we can just like be in, uh, you're unfortunately in, in the wrong <laughs> ge geographic location, yeah. but I understand entertainment industry, like, well, the entertainment industry is kind of decentralizing, right? But <laughs> I think uh, there's, um, you know, there's certain places that sometimes it's just not easy to escape the lockdowns, you know, people with big families and roots set down and businesses. And uh, I, I just hope that, that the, the fall and the winter is, is free of masks. It, it's nice to be in a place right now. I mean, I'm flying to uh, South Dakota later this week and I know I have to wear the stupid mask, but uh, I, I would be okay in a place where I only have to wear a mask on the plane as much as it, it is ridiculous and stuff. But uh, yeah, I, I hope yeah. that this, um, this thing can well, come to an end. Well, that's the thing. I, I, what is the end game? I've, I've been asking that of people, what is the actual end game here? You know, everybody's like, Oh, well, we're mostly back to normal. And it's like, no, we're not. I mean, at least not in a lot of the States. If you go to, you go to California right now and you walk into a restaurant, I mean, outside of LA where now everybody has to, they're, all of the employees are still masked. You know, all of these people have to wear a mask for eight to 10 hours a day. You know, we're still talking about masks in schools. I mean, that, that can't be normal. And, and also just the ability to freely travel wherever you want to go. Yeah. I mean, the U S it's not been a, a real issue, but you know, you want to go to the United Kingdom, you want to go to France, you want to go to Europe or, or Australia or New Zealand, which is are things that people do all the time. You can't do it. Or it's a, it's a huge inconvenience or, uh, an impossibility or, or, you know, requires five days of quarantining. When does that end? Because right. COVID's not going away. It's never going away. And how do you expect, like, or are they just going to say life is never going back to the way it was in 2019 because of a virus that I, I just, that can't, that can't be, that can't be acceptable. But, uh, you know, I, until, I don't know, I don't know what the end game is. I don't have an answer. It's just kind of this rhetorical frustrating question. Yeah, I'm, I'm torn about that, too, because when you see like the craziness that's going on in Australia, you think, oh, is that going to be the new normal? But if that's the new normal in Australia, with just like permanent lockdowns and stuff like the country's going to collapse eventually and economic productivity is going to go to zero. And there's just going to be anarchy at some point when the politicians no longer have control. Right. So you can only push the envelope so far. But on the other side of the coin, you have nations being led by total idiocracies and ideologues. Um, so maybe that, you know, that, that is the, that could be a potential thing that happens in some of these countries is just, you have total collapse, which would suck too. So, um, yeah, yeah. The, the end game, the end game, talking about the end game of COVID is very confusing because, uh, if this thing hangs on for too long, like, I don't, I don't see how a country like New Zealand can just stay closed off in the world forever or a country like Australia with its huge economy is going to be closed off forever. What are these, yeah. what are these countries exactly plan on doing? I, I think it's just pol total political cowardice. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's very funny. If you go back and look, uh, there was an interview on unheard, which is a British website with uh, Johan Gesicki. And I might've mangled that pronunciation, but he was one of the Swedish epidemiologists who was kind of helping advise on their response. And he said, there's once you go into these lockdowns in a democracy, there is no way out because as soon as you lift something and you think you see an increase, well, you have to bring it back or you, you have to change what you lift every couple of days. And then, you know, what, what is the end in terms of travel? And I mean, all that stuff is being proven right. As we're seeing, we're, we're going on 18 months of this now with, 
like you say, with New Zealand and Australia with, with no end in sight and no way out of, of lockdowns because they've, they've devoted their entire energies to zero COVID and convinced their population that the only way to, to live into the future is to have zero COVID. But zero yeah. COVID is impossible. And even if you're successful in eliminating it in your country, well, I shouldn't say eliminating, in suppressing it in your country temporarily, as we're seeing right now, Australia is seeing a big increase. And then eventually, unless you want to completely restrict your ability to, to have international trade and commerce, you, you have to allow travel back in. And people can't have a 14-day quarantine in a hotel room and complete business in a reasonable time frame. So it is a it was a fundamental misunderstanding of, of disease control. And as we now know, looking at all the studies and, and they just devoted themselves to an ideology that had no chance of working in the long term. And I don't know if, if they, if they're going to accept that at any point. We'll yeah, see. I, I kind of assumed wrongly at the beginning of this, that these politicians and bureaucrats at least had some functional understanding of how markets work of basic yeah. governance, like how to not how to control a society, but how to like, manage a, a population to keep it somewhat thriving and flourishing but clearly they do not have this this basic background in in human nature and and economics that is necessary to um you know uphold a functioning nation but on, on, we can we can kind of like end it on an optimistic note because i see great opportunity here and let me know if you agree with me that a lot of people over, since um, the beginning of 2020 have been like, you know, become like red pills or whatever you want to call it, have awakened to the reality of uh, a corporate press that is just like fear mongering and insane, not looking out for you, politicians, bureaucrats that are really um, like just so incompetent and evil that there's been an incredible, I think, coalition formed. And, and it started, you know, with, with you, me and like, you know, a couple dozen other people that have that kind of were early on this. But I, I think our numbers have expanded to, to, to millions now that are really aware of, of how insane these people and, and the, the plans that they have for us. And, and, you know, I'm optimistic because we've a lot of people now see the reality. And, and I hope that, you know, a new class of um free thinking, smart people rise up to kind of defend our civilization against these right. folks. Yeah, I, I am hopeful. I, I agree. I think a lot of people have started to kind of wake up and see like, oh, wow, a lot of these, the trust that I was placing in these people was was misplaced and, and not, not deserved and not earned and was mostly just based off of people that I trusted in the media, giving them their stamp of approval. And but they're not actually that intelligent. They don't have our best interests at heart. They're not willing to make tough decisions that are in the best interest. They're, they're mostly interested in just following the crowd and, and receiving, continuing to receive the stamp of approval from the media. And I, I hope that there are a lot more people. I've, I have noticed a lot of people on, on all sides of the political aisle kind of coming to this conclusion and saying, you know, I, I, we can't let this happen again. This can never happen again. And and thank God that there were people like Christina and people like Ron DeSantis that kind of stuck up and, and pushed back and, and stuck to their guns and, and were willing to, uh, to go against the tide and tell the truth and, and do their best to protect as much freedom and liberty as they can. And it, it, it provided the counterpoint. And I think for all, always, there will be that, that example of, yeah, well, freedom of uh, Florida stayed open and they kept their freedoms and they had, 
no worse outcomes than anywhere else. Uh, so I, I hope that that gives people the kind of ammunition they need to, to, to feel confident in their, in the assumptions that these people don't, they're not that bright and they don't have our best interests at heart. Yeah. I think there's just two sides nowadays. There's like the people that have been awakened by the COVID mania and the people that have been driven into this state of fear, paralysis and compliance. Um, but Ian, I, I really so much appreciate you having you coming on the podcast. Um, you could find Ian's Substack, which is terrific at ianmsc.substack.com. It's called Unmasked. You should definitely subscribe to it. Ian has like the best stuff out on masks. And again, um, the, the biggest policymakers, the, the rational ones in the United States have been using Ian's data and charts and all his other work to do important things. And yeah, Ian, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it.